Hello, everybody. Mike and Tim here. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. If you're new, a particular hello to you. We are so glad you're here. We were just talking about uh, the latest episode of Hawkeye, the Marvel Universe, Tim's purchasing of a ticket to Spider-Man to go by himself. Two tickets. Because that's two, two tickets to paradise. Two that's what tickets I'm saying. to Spider-Man. Yeah, but two, so one one ticket is just for you alone, so it's yes. not spoiled, and then and then you're taking the fam. Yep. But but there is it requires a certain kind of person to go to the movies by themselves. I go to ninety five percent of movies by myself. I was at the movies last night by myself. Whoa! What, what what did you go see? I went and saw the French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson movie. Oh, I thought that was like David French. Well. Weirdly enough, while I was in the movie theater, our mutual friend Kevin texted me asking if I was if I subscribed to the Dispatch David French's mm. thing, and I was in the movie The French Dispatch when I got that text about if Dude, I subscribed to David French's French's Dispatch, and I was like, "That's was that's like the metaverse. Moment. That's yeah. the metaverse right there. That was the Matrix right there. There was a glitch yes. in the Matrix. Yes, all the Gen Xers are stoked that the Matrix Everybody. is coming back. No one else cares." No, no one really like. We just did ten minutes, Mike and I did on Marvel nerd uh, stuff that you guys will never get to hear. Well, was I, I want to be clear: that there was one nerd and one <laughs> person who is not a nerd, but was asking for nerd counsel. It's true. We'll let you and guess who's who. Yes, yes. So I was like, "Well, who do you think this is?" And then, bam! Stafford <laughs> talks more. In that segment, so maybe we need a maybe we need a Tim Stafford Marvel's musings. That's the segment. problem. All my file cabinets are full in my head, but they're not full with useful <laughs> information. Now, speaking of Tim's file cabinets, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the Voxology community has never disappointed. We sent a call out for ideas for Tim. Uh, starting a new segment where he shares actually good things that the church is doing. <laughs> and um, we Sounds were so not good when you frame it that way. We were not prepared <laughs> with a with a you know um, with a moniker that was similar in you know marketability as Tim's troubled times. And so we put the call out to the Voxology community and my goodness, uh, they responded in all the interweb ways. Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, um, AOL chat rooms were aflame um, in this, and it was fantastic. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through. I'm gonna hit Tim with these, and then we're just gonna get his raw reaction. If yours isn't chosen, don't worry, dear listener. Singular. Um, <laughs> God loves you for other reasons. There's no question about that. All right, so. First of all, our friend Joanna. Oh, there's Mazzy. What's up, Mazzy? You want to come say hi to the podcast? We're recording. Heck right now. yes! Talk right into this. Yes. Yeah. Give her an earbud so she can hear me. Okay. Hi. Oh. Hi, Mazzy. Hi. How are you? Good, but I have a pink eye. Oh, you have a pink eye? <laughs> oh my goodness, that's horrible. It, that's it looks why she's like not you. At school today. It looks right like now. you have pink hair too. <laughs> Did the pink come up, kind of like flow down from your hair into your eye? Is that what happened? No. No. That could have been the case, though. Now, let me ask you a question, Mazzy. It, it's, it sounded like you were hungry. Is that true? Yeah. What are you hungry for today? Z-bar. A Z-bar? Yeah. Does Daddy usually make you breakfast? Yeah. Oh, what's he usually make? Um, I usually have every single day Cheerios. Cheerios. He makes Cheerios every single day? <laughs> yeah. It's well, everybody fantastic. eats something different. I make lots of different things, but this one will only eat Cheerios in the morning. Now, Mazzy, I have a big question for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Is it true that you have a cooking show? Yeah. You do? Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about it. What do you do on your cooking show? We make food. <laughs> we make food? Yeah. That's fantastic. What's your, what's your best? What's the best thing you cook, Mazzy? I would say the yummiest thing that we ever cooked was the pull aparts. Pull aparts. So most people know that as oh. monkey bread. Monk monkey oh. bread. Oh. Yeah, that's what other people call it, but we always called it pull aparts. Nice. Mazzy, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, it's it's we interview lots of very famous people here, Mazzy. It's nice to add your name to that list. Are you famous? What? Yeah, I'm famous. <laughs> yes, she is. If you get this is as reserved as you will ever and see, Mazzy. I have Mazzie. something to show you. What do you got, Mazzy? Let the let the <laughs> let the listener know she is now crawling in front of the camera. Go up. So that she's very close. Oh, and she's showing a tooth. Let the listener know there's a loose tooth. Loose tooth. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, Mazzy. I have a loose tooth. Yes, you do. And do you know what's great for a loose tooth? What? A Z bar. Yay! Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. All right. Well, great Bye-bye. job. Good luck with that, Mazzy. See you, sweet girl. Oh, there is a future. It's cold out here. I know, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Tim's in his basement that is unheated, literally. Yeah. It's 37 degrees where he's at. It's uh, 65 where I'm at. Thank you, Nashville. It's frosty. The grass is like brittle. So speaking of brittle, let's talk about Tim's new... um, new kind of title for for this segment so this is not intended to take very long but there were so many so many good <laughs> suggestions Tim. i'm just going to hit you with them and you get to you get to respond all right just with a just a quick response i don't want conversation i'm not asking you a marvel question i just want your initial <laughs> response all right so from our friend johanna tim's tremendous tales beautiful from our, our friend Matt, Tim's triumphant tidings. Beautiful. Tim's topical cruciformities. <laughs> Think of the good. merch possibilities <laughs> from Tom. Tim's tenacious turn towards hope. Hey, I love Tenacious D. Yes. Tim's tantalizing Tim bits. <laughs> and this uh, this is a evidently a Canadian listener who says it will help us grow the market in Canada. Right, and I'm. Is that the tantalizing? Is that the? Is that a or timbits? Oh, I don't know what Tim timbits could be. Like monkey bread could be gotcha. pull aparts. No idea. Tim's totally terrific tributes. I like mm. that. Tim. These are very Bill and Ted. A lot of these are very Bill and Ted. I love it. Tim tracks the <laughs> terrific. Yeah. Tim's timely tales. Mm. I like that. So it's a different segment where we just tell stories. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And then and then we've got. Um, uh, we've got a comment here. May I suggest a name change, Tim? Mm. So for the sake of the segment, we're going to change your name to Oscar. <laughs> then we can keep optimism and get three O's. Oscar's ostentatious optimism rolls right off the tongue. It does. Yes. So there you go. Um, not a patron yet, but soon. Oh, well, thank you. Tim's triumphant tales. Tim's titillating tidbits instead of timbits tim's teleological tidings uh, jen christians being christian <laughs> that one's pretty good tim's triumphant tales tim's treasured tidbits lots of tidbits talk for tim uh tim's terrific tales um tim's triumphant tidings mm, that's that sounds Christmassy. Yeah. yeah tim's terrific tales or tim's tremendous tales uh, Tim's tip-top tidings, Tim's terrific telegrams, Tim's testaments to triumph. We're all from Beth. My friend um, uh, Trego, who was in my college group back in the day, suggested we go with the S, mm. the Stafford. Stafford's right. stupendous sightings. <laughs> Tim's triumphant testimonies. And then, uh, Tim, you added a few here under the S. Uh, Stafford salient stories, Tim's treasured tranquility, Stafford's serene solidarity, Stafford's serene sagacity, <laughs> Stafford's sanguine salvage, Stafford's saintly salvage, Stafford's serenity salve. A serenity salve. That's a peaceful salve for yes. those troubled times. So, so we Tim, a commercial for it. What of those? I mean, first of all, the Voxology podcast rules, but secondly. What stands out to you, my friend? Oh, I don't know. I think we have to have like a, 
We should we should do a whole nother survey since people are already excited no. about the first. No, 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 that's a bad idea. Yeah, no we survey. We we literally have one survey. <laughs> We're not going to confuse it. It's up to us now. Yeah, the I listeners. Don't know. The listener has been, you know, busy. Has been busy coming up with all these ideas. So I I'm I'm kind of a fan of Tim's triumphant tales. I'm not okay. going to lie. Um. I like I like keeping it in the same consonant family as Tim troubles Tim's troubled times, but Tim's triumphant testimonies, Tim's yeah. totally terrific tributes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so we'll we'll work on that and, yeah. and probably have, having a formal formal announcement with theme music at some point. But Tim, you have a triumphant testimony to share today from um, one of our listeners or our listener. Who goes yeah. by many different names? Um, <laughs> Jennifer. And, uh, yeah, Jennifer. Jessica. Was it Jennifer? Jennifer and Jeremy are the are Jennifer the two. Jennifer and Jeremy. All right. Well, uh, Jennifer starts in a great place. She says, "Firstly, Seth is awesome. Done. Secondly, you are both awesome as well. Just Whoa. not quite as awesome as Seth. Truer words were never spoken. Tim's true words. That's right. <laughs> Truest tales." Uh, she says, thank you for bringing focus to some good and beautiful things that people are doing. Um, and she's excited about the new segment. And then she said, let me share something uh, positive that she found this last summer. So she says, I live in a small town in Alberta, Canada. The rest of Canada refers to Alberta as the Texas of Canada and for good reason. Racism, wow. misogyny, ultra-conservative churches, we've got it all. Apparently, some pastors, in air quotes, well... I'm, I'll do air quotes. She's using actual quotes. Oh, okay. Fair. From near my town, even made the news in the U.S. for their COVID antics. Yay. Nice. After so several starting years of wondering, out, It's starting out as Tim's troubled times. It but is. There's a, but there's a turn. It's perfect. It's a, it's a, it's a segue. She's, she's segueing for us. Mm. After several years of wondering if we should leave our home church for many of the above mentioned reasons, my husband and I made the decision to try another church nearby. On our second Sunday at the new church, the news of the horrifying mass graves at Canadian residential schools had just broken. Mm. I had zero hope or expectation of any acknowledgement from the pulpit. There certainly would not have been at my previous church, but I was wrong. The pastoral team got on stage and not only acknowledged what had happened, but led the entire congregation in a corporate liturgy of lament and repentance. Christianity was named explicitly as being used as an excuse to abuse and oppress. I later discovered that the pastoral staff, upon hearing about the mass graves, had made an appointment to meet with local indigenous leaders. Uh, there, ha- there the pastors expressed their heartbrokenness over what has been done in the name of Jesus and asked directly, what do you want us to do? How can we begin to do better? Mm. Since then, the church has advertised and encouraged talking circles where indigenous and non-indigenous locals can talk, share, and learn. They have encouraged church members to attend local indigenous celebrations and are continuing to meet with elders to build relationships and bridges between the communities. Mm. It's not going to fix the rampant racism on the prairies, but it's a step. And a step I had feared I would never see a church take. Very cool. Yes, very cool. That's, That's amazing. So well done. Jennifer, and um, so glad you found a community like that. That is, yeah. that is a triumphant testimony. That is a triumphant testimony. It's a terrific tale. Yes. And what's it hurt the church to do that? Nothing. It's yep. so, fr- and this, I mean, especially in this scenario too, this is such a horrific um, incident to, for the church to acknowledge and to try to you know be a part of the healing rather than just ignoring it yeah so kudos kudos small church in the prairies yeah that's awesome and um so yeah we'd love i mean if if your community's doing something great we'd love to love to hear about it i'm part of a community in tennessee that uh i think is pretty terrific um tim's a part of a really organic uh crew of people having big conversations about stuff. And so, you know, we're, we're huge fans and I love Tim, your heart, um, to not just focus on what's, you know, what the bad, cause that gets so much press. It um, does. 
And and particularly, I mean, with our Canadian listener, Tim Bits is really going to draw that that out more from <laughs> Alberta. Right. So maybe we just need to have a different name for every different uh, <laughs> localized segment. <laughs> oh yes, and now reporting from Saskatchewan. <laughs> Um, so, so thank you for mailing it and thank you for all these great ideas. I also, um, I want to thank, um, a couple of people who were incredibly, incredibly generous. Dave and Christine, um, were very generous through something called Tithely, which is kind of where people can do sort of one-time donations. And in any way, I just am thankful for them and I'm thankful for all of the people that support us. If you're interested, you can go to um, you can go to tithely.com and look up Vox Collective, or you can go to patreon.com and look up a Voxology Podcast. And while you're at it, go to voxologypodcast.com and give us your email. Because there's a right. survey. We finalized the questions. There is a survey coming, ladies and gentlemen. And we are most excited for your feedback. Most um, triumphant. Yes, we're, it's a very triumphant survey. It is a sagacious survey uh, <laughs> that will be emailed directly to Stafford. Now, today, what we have for you is um, there is a, a new um, f- uh, feminine Trinitarian uh, community at work in smashing the patriarchy. And um, it, uh, we, we met our first... You know, perhaps the the mother of the Trinity, um, Beth Allison Barr, and talked about her bu- her book. And then um, today we get to interview Amy Bird, who wrote a book. Let's call her the the daughter of the Trinity, not in reference at all to their ages. I don't know what their ages are. Um, I'm just trying to make a cute metaphor. Just to fill the Trinitarian yep. roles. <laughs> Trinitarian yeah. rules. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Tim's Trinitarian thoughts. That's going to be a short segment. Um, <laughs> and scene. And scene. Uh, um, and so Amy Bird wrote a book called Recovering from Biblical from. Manhood and Womanhood. Yes, and I made that mistake because there is a book out there called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood that was incredibly influential. Uh, in when I was in seminary and shortly afterwards in pastoral circles, this was like, this is what it means to be a godly man. This is what it means to be a godly woman. And um, she really takes that to task in, in a very similar way that Allison, uh, Beth Allison Barr does. Although, although Amy's not an historian, she does some great work, particularly around um, a, a, a very weird corruption of trinitarian theology that's used to justify female subordination and so she beth allison bar and christian dumay christian Kristen dumay that she's the other big fish we're we're out we're out trying to get um they've written a trio of books in the last year and a half that have really made some waves and in certain circles they're still getting insult and pushback and um it's 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 you know Th- those that are threatened by what they're writing are very threatened by what they're writing and are uh, very, very harsh in their critiques. So we were thrilled to get a chance to talk to Amy. And we, uh, like Beth Allison Barr, we re- really recommend her book. For those of you who are um, in the middle of wondering about, are, are these roles uh, biblical for men and women, or is that something we've read into the text? Um, I've I've come to see that I was in error on that. Um, I my inherited culture said, "Hey, of course, women are gifted and valued, but they're not to teach or lead in official church settings over men." And so I just okay, and that was the biblical position. It wasn't until I really started looking at it that I realized, oh, um, that there are other ways to read the Bible, and I think more faithful ways to understand. Uh, some of the texts and um, so anyway it's a delight to have her on and we're stoked um, to be able to continually because this has been a topic for us you know since we started over six years ago um, this has been a topic for us that we want to keep holding forth so that women like Mazzy when she right. grows up and Hannah when she grows up find communities that don't even blink 
at um, their participation in whatever level of their giftedness. And so um, they can blink all they want. Mazzy's come with a sledgehammer. So, yeah, Mazzy, that was the tamest I've ever seen. Mazzy, Mazzy That's is right. a force of nature. That's right. And aptly named, like, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> truly. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's it's fun to be able to share families with you all, and thank you for being so kind uh, to us as we do so. But anyway, this is Amy Bird, and I uh, hope you enjoy the interview. We are going to come back around to one last episode of, around uh, deconstruction, and we're not going to use that name anymore because someone right. declared they're over it. So we're going to talk about discipleship. If I have to hear that word one more time. Yes. So we're going to talk about discipleship uh, next episode, and i um, kind of stoked on that. So anyway... Thank you, friends. We are so blessed to be a part of your life and hope you enjoy the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled, delighted. Um, I don't know if she is, but we are. We are delighted to have Amy Bird with us today, live from the great state of Maryland, home of Terrapins, <laughs> who I believe are turtles. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Nice. I'd never, sure never knew that until I, I studied the Big Ten Conference. Um, <laughs> I would never have known that. Amy, hi. Welcome. How are you? Hello. I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? We're doing great. Absolutely. It's 70 degrees oh, in, really? in Tennessee right now. Yes. I'm very jealous. We're yes. entering winter now. I know. I'm sorry. That mm-hmm. this I, I hear this isn't to be expected, but it's absolutely wonderful today. <laughs> um so Tim and I have been we had a conversation with Beth Allison Barr mm-hmm. um several episodes ago. And there's kind of this new trinity, if if, if you'll allow me to be blasphemous, um, <laughs> of books that are out um, between you and uh, Christian Dumay and um, and uh, Beth Allison Barr, uh, uh, all tackling really really important subjects and all getting a lot of pushback about some of the things you're writing. Um, and so I'd love to, to talk a little bit about the the latest book, your fifth, co- mm-hmm. recovering biblical. Uh, recovering manhood. from oh recovering from yeah that's right oh yeah we got to be really clear <laughs> that's a yeah, be careful. distinction that yeah that from is super important as we'll get into um but i'd love to start just by hearing a bit about your life where where did you grow up what was the inherited culture religiously if any that you were kind of mm-hmm. raised in um okay. and then and then when did you start having sorts of questions about that inherited culture yeah, so um, I grew up here in Frederick, Maryland, um, and I really like this town. We're kind of in between D.C. and Baltimore, about 45 minutes between each one. Um, and I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. Um, my parents were very young when they had me, uh, teenage pregnancy, and they got married and had three kids. And we were, you know, go to church every Sunday kind of family, and I was taught like you know good christian morals and a good prayer life um my parents got divorced in high school i was 15 Mm. and you know i kind of really rebelled after that i think because i felt like okay this is all a bunch of crap (laughs) you know all this stuff you've been telling me what you know when it really comes down to the meaningfulness because i mean i loved my family i thought we had a great family so it it was just all blown up in front of me and the church we were attending you know we never really connected fellowship wise. I don't feel like, you know, we were just kind of Sunday morning goers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all that time. And, um, and they never really reached out, you know, to this hurting family. So, I mean, I think that was very hard on my father um, because it was my mother who, who had left. And um, so, you know, there are a lot of questions there and I never questioned my faith itself but the church had really let us down you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so my dad kind of backed off from going for a long while and um i was kind of you know doing that backsliding thing that they call it in the baptist church right right. and you know i go off to college and you know i still had that prayer life you know i was still reading my bible even um 
and so I think in the back of my mind, it was kind of like, you know, I am a Christian and, you know, when I'm an actual full functioning adult, I'll get back to that yes. you know, church and all that business. Right. Yeah. And, but right now I'm in college and so I'll have a little bit of fun and I could answer the questions. Well, you know, when you have the campus crusade people all set up in front of the, the um, cafeteria or whatever, <laughs> I knew how to answer the questions. Right. And they're like, Oh yeah, that's wonderful. You know, I'm like, yes, star on my jacket. Um, but you know, it really all came to a head. I think my junior year in college, the Holy spirit just really convicted me. Um, I was you know out partying with my friends and all of a sudden it just hit me. Like, what am I doing? Like I'm, I say that I'm this, per, you know, one person, I'm a Christian mm. and, um, I'm not living like that. I'm becoming something else. And I need to really figure out though, what it is I believe about God. Cause really I only had. Um, you know, some catchphrases to hold on to. So I think that's when theology became really important to me. And mm. I, I didn't really know what that meant. But in my mind, I was thinking, well, if I'm going to change my life to follow Jesus, like I want to know more about who he is, right? And why? Yeah. why. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I went, started going to a church, was going to that church was really interesting. I picked a Baptist church because that's what I knew. And, yeah. um, you know, was greeted heavily walking in the doors, but not invited to one thing. Mm. And so it was just like complete disconnection. Um, it's just showing up. So I just walked myself into the, the local gospel bookstore and got myself a book because <laughs> I wanted to learn more, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, looking back, it's really interesting because I mean, I, I saw a table there for like local authors and I thought, oh, this is great. I'll support a local author and I'll get a Christian book. And it was a, a very Pentecostal book. Um, it was all about really the second blessing, and, and that's how you have the fruit of the Spirit. And oh, wow. I'm like, I'm like, what in the world is this? So, right. you know, that's when I realized I have a lot of questions. I have a lot to learn. Um, yeah. And it was actually a joy and a delight to, to go on that journey of learning. Yeah. And so, my husband and I kind of came at that at two different angles. I met him maybe six months later. And he had grown up in the Roman Catholic Church. His oh, wow. dad had left his family when he was 10. Oh. He had gone through the same stuff as me, really. And he's, I'm the oldest, he's the oldest. And um, so we both had a lot of questions and we were both trying to get answers. And so, you know, we ended up together. So that was kind of neat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking for like, who are we denominationally and all, and all those things. And so, you know, we've been in a few churches in that process and when we got married i think i really thought you know i want to do this right i don't want to get divorced my husband's family's divorced my family's divorced the, st the statistics are against us yeah um and this whole biblical manhood and womanhood movement had really been on the rise at this i got married in 1997 yeah yep. and so it was like really peaking you know yep. and i didn't really understand that this was a movement that there's this you know that it's new all i'm just seeing is all these resources for being a biblical woman yeah. and oh that is what i want to be <laughs> you know so yeah absolutely i was soaking those up like and you know these are from teachers who i've learned a lot from writers mm -hmm. preachers mm -hmm. um so i was soaking it up and you know i ended up teaching a, a woman's bible study in our church that grew and um i was really enjoying learning but as a woman, I also was starting to kind of hit those uh, yeah. kind of glass ceilings of like, yeah. you don't, you know, you come here and then that's as much as you learn or, yeah. you know, that's as much as you communicate. And, right, right. And so I had a lot of questions and I just noticed a lot, lot of women not interested in theology at all, just very intimidated by it. And I just kind of wanted as a lay person to, to encourage women, other women that, you know, theology doesn't, isn't only an academic thing. Theology is also just what all of us uh, know about God, and that's so important to our everyday lives. So that's what um, got me writing, was really mm. the loneliness as a Christian woman thinker, yeah. um, and wanting to maybe have a tool to use to start these conversations in the church. Right. And, and the message is, I mean, and I, I think that's such a good point, that who wouldn't if you're serious about Jesus, want to be a biblical man or biblical woman or have a biblical right. marriage or sounds, grow your kids God's really way. Good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So of <laughs> course, of course we would want to soak that up. 
So, so part of your journey was waking up to the idea that, that maybe those categories don't reflect uh, what scripture is actually up to. Were there specific yeah. moments along the way or specific um, things you read or pieces of the text where you were, you were sort of waking up to, oh, hold on a second, this isn't quite lining up with what I've been taught? In a, you know, there were from the beginning, but in a way that um, I wasn't going to challenge at first, you know, because I had so much respect for, for the writers. And I thought, well, I'm the, I'm the one that comes from the divorced family that went to the secular university that, you know, backslid and all those other things. Oh, what wow. do I know? You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an academic. Um, so, and, you know, in the very beginning, and, you know, and I was raised in a, ho- a household where there just wasn't all this hyper masculine, hyper feminine teaching. Mm. Um, uh, I had a brother and a sister. We were all treated the same. You know, my dad taught Mark's mixed martial arts in our home, you know, and we were all there, you know. So um, anyway, yeah. So I start reading Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And I am just kind of confused at some of the teaching, which is, yeah, this hyper-masculine, hyper-feminine, very narrow definitions of what makes you masculine and what makes you feminine. And, and I'm reading about, you know, warning women not to, to, um, to do strength training too much because, you know, (laughs) you need to be soft and your feminine needs won't be met. Like men might be attracted to that at first, but your feminine needs are not going to be met. And I'm like, my mom used to own a gym, you know, I've been in the martial arts. Like I've, you know, our family worked out all the time. I was raised that way. So it was just like, what in the world? And so it was kind of this, what in the world (laughs) (laughs) kind of in my head. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know, but I kind of just skimmed over that part, you know? Yeah. And you know, when I began writing, I think my message of my first book that, you know, Hey, women, we're theologians too. It was received very well. And so I get invited into these complementarian spaces um, and reformed spaces um, to write more. I mean, I was, you know, a contributor on CBMW's uh, channel for women. (laughs) Let's explain who that is. I think a lot of our audience won't know. CBMW is the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Yes. And they are the ones who kind of started this movement. And the movement really was, and here's one reason why I was absorbing it as well. It was responding to the sexual revolution going on all around us and what they called, quote unquote, evangelical feminism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having been in the secular university, um, I saw that all around, you know, I, I absorbed some of those teachings even, you know, so yeah. I wanted to have a more Christian understanding of sexuality. Um, and so this is what they were promoting, yeah. Yeah. what they said they were promoting. Yeah. And I think, you know, the intentions were that. Yeah. Um, however, I didn't realize that they even used an, errant view of the trinity you know of of the son of god um to teach then about the roles of men and women in the church these are all things that kind of got uncovered through the years of as i'm you know in this in these spaces more in other churches speaking engagements and seeing okay there are a lot of women who are struggling with these same questions as me and yeah it's a real a real struggle because these women don't want to look like they're um you know trying to usurp authority you know they don't want to be looked at as suspicious for asking some questions um or just wanting to be invested in well in their church as disciples yeah um it's not about wanting to take over leadership positions even it was just about we want to be taken seriously as disciples as well yes um yeah it's fascinating I, i remember those days and um and and these are these were huge names. John Piper was a part of this, and Wayne Grudem mm-hmm. was a part of this, and mm-hmm. and they um they taught. And I just want to capture just a piece of their teaching because you started to illustrate the the great gift that they were in that book is consistent. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. they, so they actually played it out in all ways. They just show, but it ended up showing kind of the absurdity of the position. Uh, but their their core kind of argument is that the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. And at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, nurture, um, um, strength, and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman a woman's differing relationships. And... Um, there is a, there is a great deal, and obviously you've been you've been ahead of this for a while, of scholarship that's just saying, well, those are those are constructs that are read in uh, to the biblical text that we can be liberated from. These mm-hmm. are not these are not categories the Bible is using or the Bible mm-hmm. is encouraging. And so I think there's a just that backdrop is so significant because we still see the remnants of that. Um, yeah, I was interacting with a guy named Denny Burke on Twitter. Um, He's who the is, president of CBW. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And and they're still. I mean, that, that's uh, that that's still very much you know in reaction to Beth Moore and other places. There's very much that strand of of teaching that has now been elevated to gospel level. Right. Um, right. I, I read mm-hmm. you, you were quoting somebody that had said the gospel has a complementarian shape. Um, and, um, and for you, a a huge part of the book is the, not a huge part, but, but a very, uh, well-written part is this errant view of the Trinity that they were using to kind of justify the roles of men and women. Do you want to get into that a little bit for us? Yeah. So again, I'm not an academic. I'm a lay woman in the church. Um, I'm starting to notice some things had, that are making hold me... Hold on. You had backslidden. Let's just get that out there <laughs> yeah, for a I mean, while. come on. <laughs> Let's just get that out there. <laughs> and so I am starting to read some things that are really making me scratch my head about the Trinity. And I'm thinking, okay, um, there's this teaching of the eternal subordination of the Son or eternal functional subordination of the Son. Um, and this teaching is that... Um, even though the Father and the Son are equal in essence, that the Son has a subordinate role that is eternal to the Father's authority. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and it, it is very interesting because in the first church my husband and I joined, it was a Southern Baptist church, and it was a church plant wonderful people, great community, and I was asked to teach a women's Bible study. And, you know, I didn't feel, I wanted to be taught, you know, I didn't feel like I was in a position, I'm in my early 20s, you know. Um, But it was interesting because right away, this is where I'm learning that women are not confident about teaching the Bible. Mm. And this is why it was landing on me to do. And so, the older women weren't confident. And, um, so the pastor said, you know, I will help you, you know, this be a small group of the church. I will help you. And he even like loans me his systematic theology book by Wayne Grudem. Like this will help you. Of course. And I'm just like, Oh, what is this? This is amazing. Like systematic Mm -hmm. theology. Like this is a thing. I was all excited. Um, Grudem's book is just easy to read. You know, it's, it's really easy to teach from and read. And um, I'm just, overjoyed at discovering, you know, this kind of organization <laughs> theology and that uh, yeah. I don't want to have to go to seminary to read this or something. Um, but I'm having these questions as I'm reading it that aren't making sense to me. Like, if, if these attributes of God are true, like, if, if God has one will, Father and Son and the Holy Spirit share a unified will, why is this even a thing? eternal yeah. subordination to yeah. that, that implies two different wills, you know, and what does this have to do with some of these other doctrines, like the simplicity of God? Mm. Um, so there's, there's other attributes of God that are affected by this language. Um, and then at the end of that, you know, his first version of his systematic theology, he had a whole section on, you know, denying eternal generation, which is, mm-hmm. you know, in the Nicene Creed. So, um, but I just thought it was me. You know, I don't get it. Um, and and this then, idea of eternally subordinate was used 
to define yeah. male and female roles. Yeah, so somehow that thing gets applied to, okay, just as the son is eternally subordinate in his role to the father, um, women are eternally subordinate to men. Right, ontologically, so not, how not does this just leap in role. happen? I don't even understand that yeah. leap. Um, but yeah, my marriage wasn't like that. I didn't have a husband who was wanting to tell me what to do all the time, you know? <laughs> So it just was very confusing. And, um, but then who am I is what I'm thinking. So as I'm learning more and more and more, um, and, and I'm actually making a lot more, um, connections with academics mm. and, and I'm, and I'm asking questions and I'm finding like, yeah, this, this doesn't sound right, but it is everywhere. It was mm -hmm. like saturated in the women's ministry resources, yep. books yep. that are popular for doing studies and the men's and even the children's and these are like best-selling books in in our churches that are being used and um so then I'm like this is a real problem well my friend rachel miller who well now we're friends you know i'm discovering her work she wrote a book called beyond authority and submission mm -hmm. which was uh, treated horribly too um and she on her blog um was starting to tackle some of this eternal subordination business and I'm like, okay, uh, I'm not crazy, you right, know? Right. And uh, so I'm asking some academics and they're like, yeah, this is a real problem. And, um, but you know, Rachel's being ignored. Hmm. So I start talking to a pastor, um, a PCA pastor, who's also a theologian, um, Liam Gallagher from Philadelphia area. And he's respected. And I'm starting to share with him some of these resources and He's like, this is horrible. You know, as a pastor, I don't want, um, you know, members of my congregation learning this teaching about the Trinity. We're talking about the Trinity here. Right. Um, so I talked him into writing a guest piece for my blog mm -hmm. on this teaching and how wrong it is. And um, boy, it was like we pulled the <laughs> rope and the whole ceiling came down because yeah. I thought, you know, I need to get a, a man. <laughs> yeah. And it was great that he was a pastor and, and a, you know, academic. Mm -hmm. So... Um, it just exploded from there. I mean, there were responses from, you know, the, the big teachers of this doctrine, Wayne Grudem being one of them, and Bruce Ware. Um, and then there became conferences and books published and journal articles, and yep, it was like a yep. topic at the Evangelical Theological Society's mm -hmm. meeting. So, um, you know, some really good things that have come out of it is that seminaries are now, because these this was being taught in the seminary. Absolutely. To, that was one of our textbooks. Our pastors are being trained with this. That's right. And so this has, has, has really made a difference, I think, in what's being taught in some seminaries. Yeah. Um, you know, and I had a lot of pastors come to me and say, yeah, like, this is what I was taught. This is what I thought. And yeah. then here I'm reading, and now I have to go back and, and, and relearn. Yeah. One of the things that, that's interesting is that you argue that that kind of teaching about men and women doesn't only hurt women, but it right. hurts men too. Right. Why, I mean, why is that? How's that dynamic work? Well, it, for one thing, it's so one-dimensional. Those definitions that you read of mature masculinity and femininity, yeah. um, it's like women are just par parasitic to, to masculinity. Like we have no contribution to give right. on that's feminine it's just right. to like nurture leadership and men <laughs> and so that's that's all we're here for you know yeah, and yeah. and that's very weird um yeah. but not God's only design that, is that fragile that we need yeah. we need we need the nurturing of our counterpart yeah. and so on a horizontal level you're just thinking wow men are really missing out like if they just have to micromanage women all the time you know they're really missing out on the beauty of you know, reciprocity. Yeah. Um, oh, that's but true. not like that's secondary to the fact that this is purely horizontal in definition. Like we have left out the whole vertical relationship mm -hmm. and the, the beautiful picture that our sexuality actually tells the meaningfulness behind it of Christ's spousal love for his bride. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think that we're, we're missing out on the whole vertical element there. You know, Jesus isn't even in those definitions. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and, the, the surprising point of your book isn't about biblical manhood and womanhood, but it's about how those categories take away from discipleship in the church. Yes. Yes. So, so, so let's talk about that a little bit in terms of, okay, mm -hmm. if we're focused on being a biblical man or a biblical woman, what are we not focused on? 
Right. Um, so we're focusing on ourselves and how we live up to this, you know, cultural ideal, really, yeah. of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And all of a sudden, like, you know, the forward to their book that they put out, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, talks about how the church is at stake here and discipleship is at stake here mm-hmm. if we're not masculine men and feminine women. And then, you know, they tell us what those <laughs> definitions are, right? Right, right. Um, and so, all of a sudden, women have just kind of been removed. <laughs> like, we have to become feminine disciples, and we're discipled differently than men. Mm-hmm. And so, there's these two different categories then of discipleship, which you just don't see in Scripture. Can I, can I interrupt you for a second? You yeah. have this great riff on the difference <laughs> between men's Bibles and women's Bibles and how toxic yes. that is. So, let's let's. I want you to riff on that to illustrate mm-hmm. that point that men and women are discipled differently. Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, you even see it in the cover design. <laughs> Women's Bibles are, are so pretty, you know, and, and pink. And it almost sends this message of, you know, God's Word needs to be made pretty for you. Because, um, you know, when you read it, it really, you know, there's a lot of ugly in there too, right? Yeah. Um, but we can only, we, we want to handle the, the pretty parts. Um, but, you know, I really took a look at one of the more, like, respectable study Bibles for men and women, and that is the ESV study Bible, mm-hmm. and they're devotional Bibles, so they have articles in them. And um, it's very interesting to hold them side by side and see the different messages that they tell the men and women. For, first of all, just the contributors themselves. So, in the women's Bible, you have male and female contributors. You've got pastors, teachers, authors and academics and you think well that's wonderful you're getting the best of everything right but in the men's study bible the contributors are only men so that you know that sends a message right there that you have nothing nothing to gain from hearing from women you know it might be harmful even Mm -hmm. um to hear from women authors or or academics or anything like that um and then i compared um the titles of the devotionals in there and so for the men's or like i'll compare you know a a few of them for the women's devotional bible you have the church and women at risk Mm. and uh countering that for the men you have one on leadership um for women you have eating disorders and other self-destructive behaviors for men you have a man's inner life and why regard self-control as one essential ingredient to biblical manhood for the women, you have missional living. For the men, you have life in the local church. For women, <laughs> emotional health. For men, calling. Mm. Um, for women, forgiveness, healing, and shame. For men, pornography. Right. Um, and then there's an article in the men's uh, Bible that says, a man's work, which, you know, they wouldn't dare put a woman's work <laughs> article. And so, I mean, I just... These, these ones targeted to the women, it, it addresses primarily our weakness mm-hmm. and victimhood, yeah. um, while the men's are all about leadership and agency. So, you know, you just start to see this different story about male disciples and women and female disciples just in the very titles of the articles that they have in these Bibles. Mm-hmm. And, and never mind the, the big message of all, like... Um, do, are there two different Bibles to be read here? You know, one, right. a male version and a female version. Why are we separating God's word like this when we're really to come together as a covenant community and be reading the word together? Like, that's how we interpret scripture is as a community. So, um, it's just, there are just so many mixed messages that are right. harmful yeah. in, in these two different Bibles. Yeah. And it leaves a residue. One of the images, Tim, I want you to chime in on this if you would, one of the images you talk about is the yellow wallpaper that needs to be yeah. healed. Mm-hmm. And Tim, Tim's an English professor um, and oh, has used cool. that story a bunch. Yeah, I wanted to get, once you guys, yeah. That t- that story is always fun to, not fun necessarily, but it's a, <laughs> it's a provoking um, yeah. story to read in class, especially with, you know, people that are 18 to 20, right. 21 or 22 to, to sit in the metaphors that are there and kind of see what they prompt and what, and kind of, you know, so I, and I, it's one of my favorite aspects of even Jesus's teaching is just the parabolic nature. Like Mm. we're just such storytellers at heart. And even if you don't think of yourself as a creative, we still interpret everything through 
metaphor and story. So yep. I really appreciated, um, this is not a, a short story that would nor- normally be used in a biblical setting. <laughs> what's, the name, what's the name of it? It's just called the yellow wallpaper. And you know, you're looking at uh, critiques of position, especially for the, uh, the upper class and, you know, don't rock the boat. Um, uh, the, the main character dealing with what was called the resting cure. Uh, and we still use a lot of that kind of stuff, the passivity, the repression, um, being told not to use your imagination as a woman, um, and just submission. And this idea of submission, I think is kind of a big thing. So, and, um, so I already appreciate it for that. Cause it's, uh, it, there's some really thought provoking elements to that story, but I wanted to, if you could kind of get into maybe a little bit about that short story and perhaps why and how it resonated throughout this work. Um, cause I think it does mm-hmm. really well. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know how many of our listeners are going to be familiar with it. I, it was a more widely read story at one point, but I'm not sure that it still is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's such a, a short little story. And I had actually read it for the first time on a plane ride home from a speaking engagement. Mm. And um, it's so a scary Charlotte story Perky, to read in a confined place like that. I know it's, <laughs> it's a creepy story. Um, and and Charlotte Perkins Gilman, uh, the the author, you know, she wrote it because her doctor kind of drove her mad. Um, you know, she was experiencing symptoms of what we know today as postpartum depression, yeah. um, but they didn't know that then. There was this condition uh, that Dr. Mitchell, who's the doctor that she went to, he was kind of the the one who identified this condition. He was the, you know, the guy to go to. Um, and it was called neurasthenia. And it was basically like, um, your body isn't able to live up to the modern paces of, of life now. So the way that women and men were, were treated though, the treatment for the men and women was, was different. It, it falls into these gender stereotypes. Yeah. So for women, it was like, you're not going to be able to handle any in- intellectual stimulation, any, social interaction um you need to stay inside (laughs) and don't think (laughs) don't do anything and for the men it was like you know you'd go out west and do some push-ups and you know ride horses and stuff um (laughs) so she was told yeah she was given this rest therapy for the women and she's a writer she's an intellectual you know so this made her worse. It was driving her crazy. And, right. and she, she somehow still has the sense of mind to realize that this treatment is actually making, it's driving me mad and into total darkness. So um, she wrote this story of the yellow wallpaper, which is kind of like a metaphorical story of what happened to her in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, except for in the story, the woman who's given the rest therapy is married to the doctor. And so he kind of takes her to this abandoned property where, you know, he's going to be gone at work a lot, but his, I think it's his sister who's there to make sure she's following this rest therapy. And, but she's secretly writing in her journal. And that's what the story is, is, is the word. So it's like the stream of conscience writing and um, the room that she's in is filled with this crazy yellow wallpaper. And um, it's kind of got rips in it and, um, all these, you know, line, uh, lines that are kind of like strangling and confusing and um, patterns. And so basically throughout the story, as, as she's growing more mad, uh, she starts to believe that there's a woman who's trapped in that yellow wallpaper and she wants to free her. But the yellow wallpaper really is just kind of a, a metaphor for the the patriarchal restraints, you know, that women had even in medical care, you know, or in intellectual circles or domestically, like in all their areas of of life. So, um, you know, here we are in the 21st century, like I'm, I'm not anywhere near in the condition as, as this woman. And yet I still felt like I identified with her in a lot of ways. And I think it's because that there still is a lot of what, you know, metaphorically we would call yellow wallpaper. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of it is blind spots, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't see it because we haven't, it hasn't been pointed out to us. Yeah. Um, and so I do think it takes people on the margins to be able to show <laughs> that it's there. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I think we need to peel that away. And, and 
like the woman in the story, except for um, it's not an ugly wall that's behind it. it. You know, there's something actually beautiful and and rich that we find in God's word uh, to replace it with. Yeah, that's so good. And and one of the things that you do really well in the book is you explore gynocentric interruptions <laughs> as evidence that the Bible itself is pulling back the wallpaper yes. that it introduces or can right. be used to justify. Mm-hmm. And I love that phrase from um, Richard, Richard Bauckham. Bauckham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to spend just a little time talking about that because we tend to look, because you're talking about blind spots, and you yeah. identify several places where there are blind spots. One is how preachers talk to women and men and how they mm-hmm. talk to them differently and mm-hmm. ignore those interruptions, but also how we encounter our Bibles. Very often we encounter our Bibles as exclusively androcentric. Yes. And there's this great counter narrative in the scriptures that you identify that I'd love for you to explore a bit for Okay. Us. Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, the conservative church um, will balk at the biblical feminists who say that uh, the Bible is put together, you know, the radical feminists, the Bible is put together by the most, um, you know, by all the powerful men. It's a patriarchal mm-hmm. construction. Yeah. And um, it will balk at that. However, the way that we approach scripture so often and the way that we uh, give out our resources, our teaching resources, sends the same exact message that the, mm. that the Bible is so androcentric that, um, you know, we need to reteach it to women in different ways. We have to make it more yeah. palatable yeah. to you women. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, what I'm saying is, yeah, the Bible is androcentric. Um, The male voice is dominant, right? All the writers that we know of are male. Um, However, and this is something that I'm gleaning from Richard Baucom's work in his book called Gospel Women. Which is Um, fantastic, by the way. It's such a good book. And and that's a more academic book. So, I'm I'm trying to bring it into a more, like, informed reader. Um, But so, he's saying that... The wo- let's look at how the woman's voice is used in scripture and let's wonder at that in such a patriarchal time in society when women weren't even educated, you know, um, or, you know, able to read much yeah. less write. Um, right. Here we have all these stories and, and what do they show us um, when we see the woman's voice? And so he calls these sections of scripture gynocentric interruptions. It's where the woman's voice interrupts the text yeah and it makes visible the invisible it yes. tells us the story that is behind the story so yeah it does serve as a counter text in a lot of ways and and he looks at the book of ruth as kind of a model for how the woman's voice works in scripture and he says here we have this narrative and it's it's feminine and, and we're getting it through the perspective of women mm-hmm. uh, marginalized women um and then the weird thing is you get to the end and you have this patrilineal genealogy that mm-hmm. it almost looks like the whole tone of the whole tone of the book has switched and yeah. it almost is like it's cut and paste at the end. And he says, you know, that is done purposefully for us to say like this patrilineal gene- genealogy is actually the the male voice. Right. You know, this we just got that whole story though in the female voice. Right. You right. know, the story behind that story. Yeah. And, and it, it makes us ask a lot of questions, right? Mm-hmm, and, it, mm-hmm. and it provokes wonder and empathy and joy and delight. Um, so, we can do this th- all throughout Scripture. And I just spent one chapter, you know, yeah. just looking at a few gynocentric interruptions. And, you know, I've gotten in trouble <laughs> in, the, uh, in the conservative church for even using this term. Um, that I'm saying, oh, gynocentric, women are central uh, or whatever. Which is actually the opposite. Like of what I'm, these threat. are the interruptions to right. the androcentric text. Totally. Um, and it's a, it's a, the gospel interrupts, doesn't it? The yeah. gospel interrupts our lives, and it's but when beautiful. You, but when you we need that interruption. Up, when you wake up to the centrality of women in the in the in the ministry of Jesus, the bookends, mm-hmm. as you call them. Yeah. Right. The roles of of Deborah and Hulda in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the list in Romans 16 and Phoebe. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. going, um, and then all of the the sort of casual references that we skip over that Paul's making to house church leaders. Um, I know, most of are them are, are, you know, hosting are, are hosted by women. Right. 
which in that culture would have implied they would have led them. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions. They, they certainly weren't just making the communion bread. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, as you talk to people, let's, um, let's, let's suppose we're talking to somebody who has that, you know, it's where the, you were um, a few years ago, wanting to be, um, have a good marriage, have mm-hmm. a, a healthy relationship with opposite sex, Mm-hmm. And they're being told there is a biblical way to do this. Where would you encourage them to start thinking about that? The Bible. There it is. Because <laughs> even in the yeah. book of Ruth, right, you don't get those definitions. No, and there's no, there's no book in the Bible on biblical manhood and womanhood. You know, we don't have all these, you know, we do see the cultural paradigms and how it affects men and women then. It's not in a prescriptive way. It's in a mm. descriptive way. Um, so, yeah, I would say, hey, let's look throughout church history. Let's read the Bible with everyone else who's been reading the Bible. We're going to see some, we're actually going to see some scary stuff. Um, mm. I, there's some downright misogynistic comments about women from the church fathers, you know, yeah. through the early church, the, the, the reformers, right. the Puritans. Um, you know, what do we do with that um, when these are teachers that, we value and have learned so much from. Right, right. Um, and, you know, we have to look at that with race too, right? Um, yes. We need to be able to look at these things and say, okay, even though they've given us these beautiful gems <laughs> throughout history, they also really got this wrong. Um, and, and where did this go off course? And, and oh, okay, maybe that's actually an Aristotelian teaching about men and women, you know, not, you know, that was absorbed mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. instead of a scriptural one. So, yeah, you know, we need yeah. to, to go back and ask, you know, ask these questions while we're while we're reading scripture together, and you know, really wrestle with God on these on mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. And, and and what about to men? What about to men who are seeing the cultural pull that direction, but they're just not sure it's biblical? Well, you know, I would implore men to really be digging in through the scriptures, not just for. Um, like this proof text that they think mm-hmm. is going to be the, the end all to every argument, but the, the whole meta narrative in scripture. And mm-hmm. I mean, really, you know, my next book coming out in March is called the, the sexual reformation. Whoa. Um, Whoa. Yeah. And it's, it's restoring the dignity and personhood of men and women. And really most of my work in that book is coming from the song of songs which Tim, I guess you would really appreciate because I'm really working with the typology and metaphor and allegory and imagery there. And the story of Christ's spousal love for his bride. And um, really the song used to be looked at as a hermeneutical key. So like if you, if you couldn't (laughs) interpret, you know, if you, if you were stubbing your toe in one section of scripture, like the song was thought to have been like the meta narrative you know, uh, the whole meta narrative of scripture and concentrate. And so that would help them answer the other questions that they had. And, um, you know, it was referred to, at, you know, by the church fathers as the holy of holies of scripture. You know, this is where we have our most intimate communion with God right now, like where we get behind the veil is in the Song of Songs. And um, I think it has a lot to teach us about our sexuality and the meaningfulness behind it. Not it's been so flat-footed, you know, now since, you know, kind of modern criticism that, oh, this can't be an allegory. This, this is, you know, the church fathers were um, embarrassed by the sexual language and the erotica in there. You know, this is a, a book about sex and virginity. And, and right. um, there's definitely that in there. Um, but you have to look at it, at its picture that it's giving, the typology in there. Not to say we can't make... Um, practical implications in our marriages and love life but um but there's something much richer going on here and in this erotica of the book it's just really telling us about where all of our desires should be oriented yeah that'll be fun because we just did a series we just finished up a series on here on understanding the bible and kind of going through categorical like this is how you read poetry this is how you read Mm. you know apocalyptic literature or narrative or whatever so i think that'll be a fun exercise to go through that book yeah, I just think there's much deeper questions um, that we are skipping <laughs> right now. Yeah. yeah. And we're just, while we're just trying to say like what what women 
can do and what they can't do. That and that's and that's the big point that I got from your your work was this focus takes away from so much. It, it's harmful um, yeah. to both men and women, but it distracts from the much bigger and more beautiful opportunities. And that's the shame right there. Yeah. I mean, because there's there's something so much more beautiful, and I think it's going to help the whole church. And the interesting thing, like, you know, my book is about discipleship. Um, right. And I've, you know, that's my fifth book about discipleship. And it's not about marriage. It's not about who right. can even preach in a church. It's not right. about church leadership. Um, it is, you know, my primary audience was church leaders because I think they need to lead the, they need to lead the way in this. Yeah. Like when you're saying what men can do and what women can do, our church leaders need to be um, leading the way in these conversations. Yeah. Amy, where Amen. can people find you online? Are you still blogging? I'm blogging at amybird.com. And so my name's spelled A-I-M-E-E-B-Y-R-D. And I'm on um, Twitter. It's at Amy Bird, P-Y-W for peeling yellow wallpaper. Nice. Okay. <laughs> and because there's, even though my name's spelled funny, there's multiple Amy Birds like me around. So <laughs> that's um, this probably be the two big places, you know, okay. to follow me. Well, listen, I, I mean, we're always so grateful for anyone who takes some time to be with us. And we really, I really really enjoyed your your book and as somebody who reads a lot of theology there were several sections that i bookmarked to come back to and study later oh um, yay really what a compliment thank good you and chewy absolutely you did you mm-hmm. did you did great work so we're grateful for you we're grateful for the ways in which god is using um a, a kind of a an amazing crew of gifted academic women to highlight some of these things and so we're we're just thankful you'd spend some time with us so yeah thanks for having me on absolutely ladies and gentlemen (laughs) check out amy bird's recovering from biblical (laughs) manhood and womanhood (laughs) thank you thank you thank you for listening to this conversation Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us